Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from the Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti and I am incredibly excited because we're back for a new season. We're hyped, we're amped, we miss the football. Most of our heroes don't appear on any kind of stamp of any kind, at least mine. Stuart's probably do. But anyway, I am joined by Stuart Robson and James Scowcroft for this inaugural podcast later on. Yes, we're pulling out the big guns. Henry Winter will be joining us. I know you're excited. I know you're tempted to fast forward. Please don't do that because guess what? Robbo and Scoey have some interesting things to say too. We'll also be talking a little bit today about the biggest transfer in the history of football. But first, we start with the defending champions at Stamford Bridge. Sure. Uh, it's been a long time since the Premier League champions lost the opener in the first half. They were pretty poor um although probably would help if they had players fit and didn't have to play for 10 men for most of the half your reaction to that first half not overly surprised it was surprised it was against Burnley but not overly surprised having seen them in pre-season having seen the game uh the community shield at Wembley and the cup final as well last season they were really good defensively and I think they've become complacent I looked at David Luiz over the last over pre-season and, and the last few games and he looks like a player that's not alert, not alive, he's not defending with urgency. I would say the same about Gary Cahill. Cesc Fabregas playing in a two in midfield is not athletic enough and Chelsea are going to be caught time and time again on the counter-attack if Fabregas plays alongside Conte. You can't expect Conte to do all the running for him. You've got to have somebody in there that can defend much better and get around the field. That's going to be their weakness. All the time they've got Fabregas in the side, they'll be vulnerable. Unless, of course, they play a midfield three. Of course, yeah, change that. Scully, they're what? They were 3-0 down at halftime? Um, there's an argument to be made, though, that while everybody's freaking out, they're also playing without Pedro, Hazard, Morata, Moses, Bakayoko. That's a lot of guys to kind of spot to the opposition, isn't it? Oh, well, and, oh, sorry, and, and they're down to 10 men, and then they go down to 9 men. Well, they didn't help themselves today. Hazard's a, a, a key, key player for them, isn't he? If, if you take him out of his team, you're almost 20% taken away from the team, that that person that can open up the defence. And I just think if he's you, you're the opposition, I think he automatically puts you on the back foot. Certainly in midfield players. I remember Mourinho last year, when United had possession, was so obsessed with, with Hazard that he was getting players to, to drop in, even when they didn't have the ball. Can we talk Burnley? Because, all right, Every year, right? Oh, you're going to back the manager. Oh, give him more money to spend. Blah, 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 blah. These guys, they, they sell Andre Gray, who I'm not in love with, um, but cost a lot of money for them and you know was their, their main goal threat. They lost George Boyd, who's a stupid haircut, but worked really well for them. Played a ton of games for them last year. I think, I think he made 35 appearances last year. A real stalwart. And they lost Michael Keane, who I seem to like more than a lot of people, but who I think is an outstanding defender and for my money probably should be starting for England. That's a lot of guys to get off and you did to lose. And then, yeah, you add Walters and whatever, but, you know, 
Explain. But what Burnley have shown, uh, and it, it was it's gone out, of, it had gone out of fashion a little bit in football, that if you uh, deliver crosses into the box and you've got players that can attack the ball, and you get players arriving in the box at the right time, and you do the same at the other end and defend crosses into your box well and are well organised, you can still win football games and you're still a threat. Clearly, it's not a question of quality though, because Koa, you played up front. I'm sorry, hey, Sam Volk scored two mm. goals. Great, he works hard, but. Andre Gray is a much better player than Sam Vokes. Michael Keane is a much better player than James Tarkowski, right? And I'm I, sure, I'm, these I'm are sure, facts. Yeah, and I'm sure in January and February we'll be talking about the same point that it's cost them losing these key players. I'm sure they'll get one or two in before the, the window finishes. Um, but this is August the 14th and we're judging how they're going to do this season already. There's a long, long way to go. And without doubt, losing those players will, will affect Burnley big time. Well, it's interesting because there's, there's an obvious parallel then there, right? I'm Sean Dyche. I've lost these players. Antonio Conte wants more players, more spending. Sean Dyche wants more players, more spending, I assume. Every manager does. You don't think that Dyche is content with what he has? He doesn't look at this and say, you know what, Walters can do a job for me, blah, blah, blah. He can't be, can he? he no, he's... but I think what Sean Dyche has done... And as all managers should do, and this is the first time I sort of uh, criticised Conte, if you keep saying we need more players, this squad isn't big enough, we're not going to do well, you're, you're telling the players, you're, you're putting a downer on the whole club and the supporters and everybody, the press, everybody before the season starts. We haven't heard Dyche complain about losing players. Yeah, my players will do a good job when, when I put them out on the hill. They're still good enough to compete. They're still good enough to win football games. And really, and I don't often uh, agree with Arsene Wenger, but Arsene Wenger was, was right in what he said about Conte. Stop whinging. Get on with it. You've, you've, got, you've got players that, apart from Diego Costa and Matic, that you won the title with. You've brought a couple of players in, in Bakayoko, who you wanted, and you've got Alvaro. Maratta, who's a very good player, you're not a lot different to what you were last season when you won the title so convincingly. So get on with it and, and make sure that you you have a, you you play in a positive frame of mind and do the coaching that you did last year. I should point out, Antonio Conte has complained every except for last season, his first year at Chelsea, when he probably could have complained given you know how late they left it. Um, he has complained every year about more signings and and he did go on to win the league every year at Juve. I don't think it's a healthy situation, especially when you know that Chelsea have tried to run, at least transfer-wise, within a budget. Mm. And they had an asset last year, a center forward named Diego Costa, who scored a ton of goals for them. Conte doesn't like him. That's fine. But I kind of feel they've really been penalized by this, this insane text that he sent Diego Costa. When on top of that, and they knew, Conte should have known, Atletico Madrid will be punished by FIFA with a transfer ban. You can't just dump them on Atletico Madrid. I find this to be a really serious mistake on, on his part because, you know what, I, Costa would have fetched you, even given that, you know, it's motivated sale, Atletico Madrid, whatever. You still would have got $30 million for him mm. at a minimum, and you would have gotten wages off the books, which then could have allowed you to bring in, if you need another... Uh, you know, another real superstar. You could have taken a run at Alexandro. You could have, you know, you could have done a bunch of different things, which Conte supposedly wanted to do, but which now he can't do. And I think that's really, that's a really serious blunder from somebody who hasn't made that many blunders since coming here. I think you're absolutely right. I think he, I think the players, uh, he's lost a little bit of credibility with the players over the, he's dealing with uh, Diego Costa. He dealt very well with him. Uh, in January when he wanted to go to China and he got him back in the team. He suspended him for a couple of games because he had a row, didn't he? Very well with Cesc Fabregas, yeah, too. Yeah, because Cesc Fabregas, he was, wasn't playing him every week, but he made him it made sure that when he came on, he had a big part it to play. Important, yeah. Yeah, it made him feel important. And that's what he seemed to do with all the Chelsea players. Last. He was celebrating victories with them. He was getting the best out of them. He was giving them a big hug. You look at him on the side of the field at the moment, he's not the same man. Scoey, Chelsea have a ton of young players. It's been an age-old thing. Uh, as somebody who's, who's worked in youth football uh, in this country, I always find it really difficult to judge who's going to project as a regular or not. But you know, I saw Christensen play in Germany. I think he's a really, really good player. Um, Musonda has his moments too. Obviously, Jeremy Boga started the game. I didn't think he was great last year, but he's another guy there. He's another body. We didn't see much of him. Should he just actually put faith in in some of these kids to hold down the fort until until the, the regulars come back? This has been going on for some time now. It's quite clear that Chelsea by far have got the best young players in the country. Why they don't get anywhere near the first team is baffling. 
Um, you know, Sturt will tell you, if you can have two or three, and these are exceptional young players as well, they're, they're not just maybe maybe not one day that they'll make it. These are exceptional young players. In and around the squad, it freshens everything up. It gives the crowd, I think, something to, to sort of identify with. I think it pushes the senior players as well because all of a sudden you've got some young kid on the block that you think, well, yeah, OK, he's a little bit... Pochettino argument. I mean, I had the opportunity to spend some time with him this summer, and he said that when you know when the young players see that they will get on the pitch, then they're more they're more motivated and and whatever. But here's the argument, though. You say that these are great young players, and well, they are. Okay, they are supposedly are. But the point is, we're getting to this. We're getting the stage where the first generation of these great young players, you know, Ake and and Loftus Cheek and Chalaba. You know, these guys are now what, 22, 23 years old, 24, yeah. some of them. And it's not like they're playing for Champions League clubs or they're playing for, for clubs of Chelsea standards. You know, they're playing in places like, like, like Watford and Bournemouth. So if I'm Conte, I could say, yeah, you know, these guys might be great for those clubs. But by the way, it's not like Chalaba and Loftus-Cheek have been pulling up trees even at international level. It's not like these are England internationals. So why should I be expected to put these guys in my first team why should I expect these guys to be good enough for us just because they won the under-20 World Cup or whatever, the Toulon tournament or whatever nonsense at youth level? I mean, is that a fair argument for Conte to make? No, I don't think it is. Every single player that's played this weekend at some stage has been a young player that's got a breakthrough somewhere. You look at someone like a Tammy Abraham, for example, surely to God he's good enough to come on and sit on Chelsea's bench and, and come yeah. off the bench and just raw... And Stuart will tell you as well, when you're a young player and you do make that final step, I think your game goes up by 20%. All of a sudden, you're And you're you, you will alive. never know. Until a player is given a chance, you will never know whether he's going to make it or not. And I'll, I can give you one example. Uh, Wimbledon, uh, Chris Perry, nobody ever thought he was yeah, going to be good enough. On. Chris Perry was given a chance and suddenly he improved, got in the England squad. Tottenham bought him for £7 million, which was a massive fee at the time. Yeah, and not- everybody was saying, he'll never make it. I like Chris Perry a lot yeah. as a person yeah. too, but he's not playing for a Champions League club and a club that's winning the Premier League, and he never did. Again, and I am playing mm. devil's advocate. Mm. I'd love to see these guys uh, being given more space. I, I hope that the fact that he had people like Musonda and Christensen there all through preseason, maybe mm. you know, turn on the light bulb in his head that maybe some of these guys are good enough. But, but, I, but if you leave it until you get to twenty twenty one, some of your the years of development have already gone. You're now not the top right. class player. You need to be getting in the team at 18. They loan them out somewhere where these guys actually play. But they're and not then they get criticised the, for loaning them out. But they're not playing at the top level. I can only speak for myself. I came into the. I was 17, and I'd just been to the World Cup, under 20 World Cup, and I come back, and Arsenal put me into the the team. Okay, but I, and I know it's different. It's a different, different era, team. and also I think. What they got I mean, careful is. I wasn't born then, but mm. you, were, you were pretty high. You were. I think I would imagine you were rated more highly as a young player well, I was, than yeah. some of these guys were. Okay. Yeah, I was the, the yeah, England exactly. captain. Yeah. Gap. The game is the best teacher. I think Stuart will agree with me on that. And what these what these Chelsea youngsters have got to be careful is that other youngsters at other clubs who probably aren't as good as them, if they're going to get a chance and they're going to get 50, 60 games under their belt before mm-hmm. some of these lot even get near it, they'll be overtaken. Okay. I'm going to bring this is my last go into Devil's argument. And okay. I think a few of them, the penny's now dropping because a okay. few of them are now starting to leave, aren't they? You're you're breaking balls here with Lewis Baker and Christensen and Musonda, right? I'm sorry. How many homegrown youngsters are starting and playing regularly for Manchester City, or Manchester United, or Real Madrid, or Barcelona? I mean, people like who are actually 22, 23. Don't bring up this Busquets messy nonsense or Juventus. Does this happen to other clubs? No. It only comes to me because I'm Antonio Conte and I'm at Chelsea, and y'all are jealous because we win every single youth tournament every year, and I got to put up with this nonsense. Why don't y'all mind your own business? There you go. This is cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's my Conte impression. Now, this season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League, Champions League, FA Cup, and the Europa League as well, which, as you all know, is very important because Manchester United had never won it before last season. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. But with this in mind, we have the feature goal of the week. Scoey. 
What was your favorite goal of the weekend in the Premier League? It doesn't need to stand out because it's the best goal, or the most difficult goal. Yeah. It's however you choose to mind. Maybe it has some sentimental value for well, you. Well, it has actually. And I think the lad hasn't got the credit he deserves for going to play for a club for the badge on the shirt because it's his boyhood club. Turning down America or China or where he could go and... To stay in this small, obscure league called the Premier League. Give the boys some credit. And not have to move house either. Give the boys some credit, Gab. We're Wayne talking Rooney. about Wayne Rooney, of course. Take a bow. Good head. Nice. A good header, good yeah. header. Very good header. Good build up as well. He links it up, then gets into the box. Any Is young it? centre forward watching, watch how he does it. Very good. And it's a very good header as well. Remember him, Bobby Ferguson? Bobby, uh, mm. Bobby Robson's assistant? Yeah. Always tuck your chin in when you hit the ball. When it comes to heading ball, my, and, I, and I think of Ferguson's, I normally think of Duncan Ferguson. But incidentally, um, there's, a, there's a column by Matthew Syed precisely about Wayne Rooney and, and the joy it brings and, and, and whatever else in the game supplement today. Stuart. Uh, my goal, uh, not because it was the best one, but it, it was Giroud's goal for Arsenal. You pick an Arsenal player, you pick a former United player. It has nothing to do with it being Arsenal. It was a case of... It was a die night. It's coming great back. Header. It's a great header. You guys He's been sent Ward's on. Ward's goal against Chelsea. Yeah, uh, good goal. But we didn't say it was the best goal. We're talking about the situation. Giroud was sent on. Arsenal have got to change the style of play. They're 3-2 down. We're going to uh, get balls into the box. On you go. We're going to play you up front. I'm going to have to put Lacazette out wide, which Wenger did, which I, I thought was a strange one, but it worked for him. Now you've got to go and prove that you're worth being a, a substitute that can change the game. He beats Maguire in the air. It's a brilliant header, and he did everything that was asked of him when he was sent on it's the field. It's an art to win headers without jumping. Winning headers without jumping helps if you've got like a big backside and you know how to use it and you position yourself. It's almost like wrestling, right? Yeah, and using your arms, holding defenders off, which he did because it was a bit of a foul on McGuire. Have you ever scored a headed goal without jumping in your entire yes. career? Yes, it was unmarked. <laughs> no, it was. A, I can I can picture it now. Paul Mariner did a lot of blocking. Paul Mariner did a lot of blocking for me. There was, there was no YouTube back then, so we will never know. On Sunday, Manchester United obliterated West Ham. They looked really, really good. Uh, A lot of people very excited about them. Scoey can't contain himself, so I'm going to go to him in a second. I'm going to start with you, Robbo. I was struck by something because Mourinho played 4-2-3-1, and you had Matic alongside Pogba. Now, if you remember last season when he tried to play the two, whether it was Pogba and Herrera or Pogba and, and, um, and Carrick or Pogba and Fellaini, it didn't quite work. And then we sort of said, oh, no, I need to play the 4-3-3 and Pogba needs to be on the, you know, on the side of the three and blah, blah, blah. It's all nonsense. All you have to do is just sign Matic to plug big gaps, right? Yeah. Is it that or, or is it more a case that all he has to do is play West Ham? Uh, West Ham weren't particularly good, but I thought Matic had the best game I've seen him play ever, both on the ball and defence. He looked about two yards quicker. He was the slowest player on the field in the uh, in the FA Cup final. He was absolutely hopeless, but he was brilliant both on the ball. He picked out the right times to, to go long, when to play short. He manipulated the ball to get away from trouble. He closed the ball down quickly. He defended in behind his fullbacks. He had a magnificent game. And I think midfield players should be able to do both sides of the game. There isn't such... I don't think there's such things as, oh, he can only defend as a midfield player and he can only attack. Paul Pogba can do all aspects of the game. And yesterday... He looked a magnificent player, and I still think he will be the best midfield player in world football within the next couple of years. If he isn't already, is this a viable midfield? Is this a viable setup? Four two three one. I'm assuming you like it because because you get to see Mata, Mkhitaryan, and Rashford on the pitch, and of course they've got a ton of attacking midfield type I, options. I, I, I still think they're a little bit narrow. If you could get a Martial out wide and a Rashford out wide, it pulls the fullbacks out, and you're then starting to isolate. Lukaku one one v one to defend, and that, that will get them a lot. Of... Seventy all over again, and then me. you might be outnumbered in midfield. That's the problem. Then well, it depends who you're playing against, doesn't it? Ultimately, but if you're playing the weaker teams at home, you shouldn't really be worried about. Or oh, we're going to get outnumbered in midfield. I think it's all about creating gaps, trying to sort of pick off their back four and beat their block really, which they struggled massively at home last year to do. I I, I love this because. Okay, I don't think I'm giving any secrets here for those who don't miss it. Scoey is, and the reason why he's such an, an asset is that he's one of those rare people who are blessed with playing football at the highest level 
but still remained a legit fan at heart and a guy who actually pays to go and watch the team he supported as a boy, which I'm sure Stuart Robson has never done, <laughs> ever. You're right. Um, a narrative professional footballers become cynical and they start caring about about cars and money and sex and stuff like that. And they, they, they don't pay for their... You never cared about any of those things. So, well, some of them you know... So, so you 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 ended up. You still pay and you travel to Old big... Trafford with the rest of the schlubs. You're one of them. You're a fan, and that and that's great. But at the same time, you're the perspective of a professional footballer and and a licensed coach. Anyway, you seem negative about the four two three one. Mata Mkhitaryan, too many skillful players on the pitch at the same yeah, time. I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure the balance is quite. You'd rather have Lingard out there and just tell him to stay the no, hell wide. No, no, no. Never I, touch I, the I ball. Think Stop judging the whole season on one game. Manchester United definitely, definitely are a team that needs a little bit more natural width in their side. Um, I'm sure over the season they will change their system depending on the opposition. Every you know, five on minutes, which players are fit. You know, it, I think that's the way teams are going now. Here, here, Manchester City but I think will change it's his preferred system, isn't it? Four, two, three, one. I think mm. at Chelsea and. I think it's a system that he... he it's my favourite system. I quite like it. I mean, he's, he's played a bunch of different systems, obviously. Um, one thing I want to ask about was about Lukaku. I mean, I've been a big Lukaku fan for a long time, going back to his Anderlecht days and stuff. Uh, but I wasn't 100% about whether this is, this is necessarily an upgrade because he is more of a front-to-goal centre-forward. And also people are talking about, oh, look, he's signed Lukaku, they're going to be better. Yeah, but Lukaku's replacing a guy who was pretty darn good in Slatan Ibrahimovic and scored a ton of goals last season. Am I being too much of a negative, Nelly? Well, should should yeah, you be concerned? Time, yeah. Well, the difference between Ibrahimovic was always there was always going to be a problem. He played brilliantly last year for them, but there was not enough penetration in behind. He was leading the line. It meant other players had to run beyond him, and there wasn't enough of those mm. players. And he didn't play Rashford up alongside him very often. Rashford had to play wide. Lukaku is always looking to run behind. He's back to goal play isn't particularly good until he gets in and around the box. Well, but, but that's my concern. If United play teams that go and park the bus, he then has to play with his back to goal. There's just not a side of him that we've necessarily... We say it's not very good. I think we've generally not seen much of it because... But I, I just said, when, when he's okay with his back to goal in and around the box, when he can see he can get himself turned and get shots away, it's on the halfway line he's not a particularly okay. good back to goal player. You know, when balls are being hit to him and he's now got to control them and set play up, he's not at his best then. But in and around the box, he's strengthy. He roll defenders, he gets shots away... He did that for Everton many, many times. And presumably Lukaku's backup, if he gets hurt, is you can play Martial or you move Rashford, but then you need to go and find somebody to replace Rashford, right? You know, where is Marcus Rashford going to end up eventually? It, it seems a pathway for young centre-forwards now is you have to go out wide to then earn your place when you're 24, 25 well, the down the middle. Being, they don't play with two up front. Of course. Yeah. That's right. because they don't play with two up front anymore. I just think Lukaku's got that... Five-yard burst that Rooney hasn't had for the last two or three years. Ibrahimovic didn't have. He can stretch teams. If you look at his little darting run that he made for his first goal, Ibrahimovic never did that last season. And as good as what he was at times, and if you put the ball in the box, you get on the end of it. He didn't stretch teams. Manchester United were very, very immobile unless you put one of the youngsters, Martial or Rashford, down the middle. All right, let's talk West Ham since they they did win uh, the World Cup. Um. I thought they were terrible. I thought they were really, really bad. And I was watching the game on on uh, on Italian TV, actually, and they had Paolo Di Canio co-commentating, and he was torn because he's a big Mourinho fan, for obvious reasons. Um, but obviously, he's <laughs> he, he loves West Ham. So he was just, like, despairing and shouting, and they were really bad. And I don't understand that. I mean... This Fernandez Obiang Noble, I don't think is a bad midfield, but it's a slightly wussy midfield, especially if you're up against bigger guys who are physical, like or who can be physical, like Matic and Pogba. Dicanio made a point. I want to get your perspective as ex-pros. He said that Bilic is penalized by the fact that he's in the final year of his contract, and the players know that. And he said the climate at West Ham is such mm-hmm. that when they feel that the manager is weak, and Paolo's been there and there's some managers who were perceived to be weak as well, Glenn Roder, um, the players just do whatever whatever the heck they want. Does that happen, Robbo? I played at West Ham, and I, I went from... But so you had a strong manager. Uh, John Law was the manager. Uh, Who'd been manager for 50 for years, years, yes. But he was a lovely man and a good technical coach. But I went from a, a professional environment 
uh, at Arsenal to, went to West Ham who had just come third in the league and the players did what they wanted to. The players were running the club and it got no better two years later they were relegated and I think that's been the same for West Ham year after year it's a very very good club it's not being run properly and it's never had that real professionalism that's made it a top top club there's something in the DNA that's not quite right at West Ham I always can see them going and losing 4-0 5-0 they'll have bad games where they'll be absolutely hopeless because they've got something wrong with their DNA in terms of their professionalism and their mentality. And having a manager who's got a year left yeah, makes it worse. Makes it, it even going, worse. You, well, one thing they did yesterday, after 70 minutes, they threw the towel in. Big time. Second half, when the, when the sort of third goal went in, it was just a no Like Stuart says, you have a professionalism about you. Scotty, right. did you get that, that sense? I mean, obviously you never played for West Ham, but you've played against West Ham plenty of times. Did you get that sense? Definitely. It's a club that just never seems to be calm and settled. They're at their worst. West Ham were at their worst after a good season. You know, when they came third that time, the next season they were all the professionalism, all the good attitudes they had to get third, they lose that. When Billich, the first year he was at West Ham, the last year at Upton Park, they had what they considered was a great season and they worked hard, they were they were really well structured, they had Pyatt playing well and the next year it was a shambles again. Yeah, but and I still say this about the West Ham team today, on their day... On their they day, they can beat be anybody, yes. Yeah, fan, because and, it, and it's, 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 but it's a moment. flick of a coin yeah, which, exactly. which West Ham are going to turn up. Yeah. I'm Oliver Kay, Chief Football Correspondent of The Times. My tip for Premier League champions in 2017-18 is Manchester City. Now, I know what you're thinking. Everybody seems to be going for Manchester City. And this is a team that fell 15 points short of Chelsea last season. But I also look at a team that won 78 points, won 23 games, scored 80 goals while not even coming close to their full potential last season. Scored 80 goals last season and to my mind could score 100 goals this season. I really do believe they have that much potency in attack, that much firepower. They might concede 50 goals but they will score goals in abundance. They will win more matches. Manchester City to win it if they click as I believe they finally will under Guardiola. I'm Paul Joyce, a Northern Football Correspondent for The Times and my tip for the Premier League is Manchester City. I think Pep Guardiola will be better equipped to deal with the challenges he'll face with this being his second season in the Premier League. And I think the attacking might that he's assembled at City means that they're by far the best equipped to, to last the course. I was surprised that they've not signed a centre-half and that's one area that would still give me hope if I was a rival. But then I look at the rivals and I still think that they all have... Um, inadequacies as well. I think the Wenger factor at Arsenal remains unhealthy. Um, United style of play under Mourinho is a question mark. Liverpool have doubts about the defence. There's the Coutinho saga. Tottenham have Wembley. I think it's Manchester City's to lose, really. My name's Matt Dickinson. I'm Chief Sports Writer for The Times and I am tipping Manchester City for the title, which feels like a statement of the bleeding obvious when you look at their squad. Uh, it's the outstanding squad in the division. They've reinforced it, obviously, with a colossal spending this summer. Should have reinforced the weakness of goalkeeper, at fullbacks. Uh, they already had a massive attacking array and that's been strengthened when you can bring Sane and Sterling and uh, Bernardo Silva, another new signing off the bench as they did against Brighton. They've got a manager who has had a year to learn a lot more about English football and obviously came with a gilded reputation himself. So, to be blunt, if they don't win the league, and maybe even with a bit to spare, then uh, we'll be asking them some pretty hard questions uh, nine, ten months from now. I'm joined by our guru, Henry Winter, here. Um, and we're going to be reacting a little bit to some of these predictions. Um, I, first of all, though, I need to throw out a caveat. I don't know if you agree with me, Henry. I think making predictions at this stage uh, of the summer, when the transfer window is still open, is incredibly foolish and dangerous. Now, that out of the way, Henry, it's like a plebiscite for Manchester City. Are you going to join the dung heap of gutless conformity and just anoint City right now? Well, it's very difficult to anoint them, but uh, I think Manchester City uh, are totally uh, deserved favourites, and I echo everything that uh, that everyone said about their strengths. And I would add one further thing: that the key for me is is keeping Vincent Company fit, not simply because he's the one natural uh, defender in in that uh, in that back line. When you look at individuals like John Stones, who likes to step out, and uh, you look at. Uh, Danilo and Kyle Walker and their strengths. Um, I just think they need company for his 
aerial ability. You know, when Manchester City come up against Manchester United, and I saw United yesterday, United are a team of athletes and beasts and these huge creatures who just power forward, whether it's Matic or Pogba or Lukaku. They've got so much strength. They're Bailly at the back. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a classic Mourinho team. He goes for strength and power and height as well as individual technical expertise. And that's where I would have one or two concerns with Manchester City when they're coming up. You know, they, they'll play all the sort of death triangles around them, but maybe a set piece will be an issue. And that's why it comes back to me for to keeping Vincent Company fit. And, it, and it's not simply what he brings on the pitch. It's, it's and, you know, his organisation on the pitch and his leadership. But it's also... He'll be the glue in the dressing room, a changing dressing room. And he's such a popular individual, the president, as, as the Belgians call him, that I think he's the key man for, uh, for for Manchester City this season. If they keep him fit, they should win the title. I think I love Vincent Company uh, about as much as you do. But you're saying that the key to them winning the title is them doing something that that they've not been able to do the last two or three years, is to keep this guy fit. Are you not a little bit concerned by... This defense, I mean, it's still Stones and Otamendi. I didn't want to get into Kyle Walker, Danilo, uh, who was terrible at Real Madrid, I thought. Mendy's a great player, but it's his first season. And also, what happens if Fernandinho gets injured? You, you happy with Fernando in midfield? But you know what? Maybe I'll, maybe Manchester City would make the perfect champions of the uh, the Premier League when you look at the the real flaws in uh, in Premier League football, which is defensively. We've seen it already this season. Okay, Arsenal were missing some centre backs, but uh, they were poor. West Ham were all over the place yesterday at uh, Old Trafford. This is the, the division that's forgotten how to defend. That's become so sort of obsessed with buying some attacking players that we don't cherish the sort of Benucci's and the, the Barzaglias and the Chiellinis. Why aren't we trying to bring them over? here and, and strengthen the defence. And this, you know, the cavalry charge of English football, which is an absolute joy to watch. You can understand why Scudamore has one of the easiest jobs in the world, selling it around the world. Um, you know, they'll just get caught out in Europe again. We see that because English players don't know how to uh, to, to defend. You know, where, where are the young Varans coming through? People like that. We're just not developing them because the academies have become focused just on producing sort of, you know, number 10s or wingbacks or whatever. So uh, that, that that is my concern. So anyway, Manchester City being an attacking team and uh, having defensive flaws might be the perfect emblem of English football. I'm going to throw the guys in the studio. Uh are you guys on board with Manchester City? And Henry, if you if you hear something you disagree with, please feel free to jump in. Stuart, uh, well, what, Pep, are, they your, are they your champions? They are my champions. There you go. And I think that Pep Guardiola, he wants to win the title doing it his way. He wants to prove to everyone. Everybody criticised him last year. You're not defending well enough. You haven't got good enough defenders. He's actually gone the other way and said, we're going to be even better in the attacking areas. So our defensive frailties aren't going to be shown so much. He hasn't bought Walker and Mendy to be better defensively. He bought them to play higher up the field. And I agree with, with Henry. Company is a, a major player. And you just mentioned it. Fernandinho is vital. Scoey, I feel like, and I'm guessing, I'm reading your mind, you're not going to join into the city loving, are you? No, I'm not, no. There you go. Who's your pick? I think it's open. I'm just going to go with United. There you go. That's because I, I don't see Man, Man City don't have a plan B for me. They won the first 10 games last season, and I can see them doing exactly the same. Whilst the pitches are nice and the weather's all, you know. But when it comes to the crunch... What I a, don't see them having a plan B. I don't see them out Brighton, to you, Do you them? think their their intensity about their pressing of the ball, winning it back, was so much better than it was last season? I know it's only one game, but they it's it looks like they've done a lot of work on that. Brighton had about three minutes of the ball. Henry, that's I, because the pressing was so good for Man City. Uh, Scoey brought up United. You saw them yesterday. Uh, you called it the most exhilarating football since the Sir Alex Ferguson era, which is. You're praising them. Then again, the football hasn't really been great since the Sir Alex well, Ferguson era. But... It's, not the, it's not the wildest claims when you've lived through the sort of, you know, the David Moyes freezing and, and Van Gaal sort of but what passing do they mean? around. I mean, how far away are they? Are, are they really? Are, are you, is it the defence? the defence the problem? Is, would you feel different if they... I still think they need a left back. They could get Danny Rose in there. I think you'd be absolutely perfect for the them. The woefully uh, underpaid Danny Rose, that is. Well, yeah. absolutely. So, um, you look at that spine. De Gea is one of the best goalkeepers in the world. Baye is, you know, is, is a terrific player. And Jones seems to be responding. That was one of Jones's better games yesterday. West Ham had Hernandez, who was sort of isolated. Um, but then Matic. You know, Matic could easily be, one, you know, the football of the year in terms of the impact he's made, in terms of do, weakening Chelsea. Do you think the closest Chelsea city then? 
I mean, do you think there's not much I, in it? I think it's a matter. I'm going to be spending a lot of time in Manchester this year. Right. <laughs> well, so, I do anyway, but I think it's between those two. Yeah. Okay. If those if those are your top two, who do you see? Who do you see just behind them? Well, everyone's all writing Spurs off, and they say that you know they're, they're a mess, but they've got Deliani. They've got a fantastic goalkeeper. They've got Alderweireld, maybe the best centre half in the, in, in the country, and uh, they've got sort of Harry Kane. He probably should have been sent off yesterday, but you know he'll score a lot of goals. He might miss a month or two with injury, but he, he'll be sort of prolific for them. So I don't think they've got too much to worry about their um, their spine. You can argue about the, the strength of the squad, but if you actually look to their bench yesterday, they've still got some some very good understudies and, and injured players to come back. So I would I would have them third. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I, I'm not so negative on, on Spurs. I don't know if they'll finish third, but any of you two going to go out on a limb and say Spurs aren't finishing top four? I think they're finishing top four. I think they they're got the same qualities they had last season. They've got a good manager who will get the best out of most of the players. And forever, whatever Danny Rose says, and he got applauded by the dressing room apparently, the players are still behind Pochettino and the club. Scoey? No, I don't think they will. I think Wembley will, will kill them. Just, just from my own playing perspective experience, if I had a chance to go and play at Wembley, which which I never did get the chance. I just think that's it's it's not White Hart Lane, and White Hart Lane was so tough to go as a team. I just don't think that I think they've lost their main strength, which was playing at home at White Hart Lane. All right, looking beyond them, if there seems to be at least a consensus between Henry and uh, and, and Stewart that you've got the two Manchester clubs and Spurs in the top four, and that leaves one spot. Who's your fourth team in in the top floor? I think if Liverpool can get hold of Virgil van Dijk, then I think that they've got a chance. Even if they lose Coutinho, and I know there's a lot of sort of wailing and gnashing of teeth on Merseyside about the possibility of losing Coutinho. And it'd be brilliant if the club stand up and said, no, listen, you're saying, knuckle down and you know, maybe leave next summer. The attacking strengths, particularly when you've got sort of Mane and, and uh, Lama, I'm a huge Solanke fan as well. It might be a year early for him. I don't worry about Liverpool going forward. It's just sort of defensively. I think if they can get Van Dijk, I think they might get the fourth spot. I'll say this about Liverpool. They were willing to spend $60 million or probably even more than that on Naby Keita. So presumably they, there's, there's money budgeted there. If Coutinho goes, and I assume it'll be around, maybe, probably maybe a little north of $100 million, all of a sudden you have $160 million to spend if you're smart and if you've prepared, and they should have been preparing for what happens post-Coutinho from the minute they, it became obvious that Neymar was going to go to PSG. If they prepared, they can come out stronger than they are because uh, Henry mentioned Solanke there. In some ways, the, the, the Salah, Mane, Firmino, and Lalana when he's back from injury, plus Solanke and Sturridge, that's a pretty potent attacking force. So then if you can add a Keita or a Keita type to the midfield and upgrade the defense, possibly with Van Dijk, it's not so bad. Klopp's bright. He's, he's not, he will realize if they're, if they're conceding the same, if they're stuck in groundhog day defensively, he will have to address that and, and tweak them tactically. Okay, so if that is your top four, you've not mentioned the defending champions or Arsenal or Everton. Uh, who's fifth, Henry? Well, to be honest, I, I've got I'm very blurred. Third, fourth, fifth. I, I would definitely have sort of Chelsea in there, and then you can you can argue which which of them is going to get to the the, the the podium. But I mean, Chelsea. The thing about Chelsea, and everyone everyone leaps on Chelsea because there is a slight Schadenfreude when when Chelsea do do badly. But there is a everyone's ignoring the fact they've got Morata. Morata is a is a is a great role model. He's almost the antithesis of Diego Costa in terms of uh, low maintenance. And I think when he when he starts, and I was surprised he was on the bench yesterday. When he starts, I think that a lot will fall into place, particularly when sort of Hazard comes in. Obviously, Conte's got to sort his uh, his mood out. They need to go and um, buy one or two more players. I think everyone accepts that. But they have spent 130 million pounds in, in strengthening. Uh, strengthening squad. My big frustration with them is that you go down to Cobham and you walk down the road to, to, to the pavilion and on the left you've got that academy where Jody Morris is producing all these uh, great players and they keep winning the FA Youth Cup doing well in Europe and then you turn right and so many of the number plates in the car park are, are foreign number plates. Now, English football, the Premier League should be a mix. It makes financial sense. It also makes sense in terms of the dressing room. And also, I do think they should have a, a longer-term commitment to, to, to the national team. There was a lovely image yesterday of Romelu Lukaku celebrating with Marcus Rashford. That should be the template for every Premier League club. An outstanding local lad brought through 
learns from the uh, this, this fantastic uh, imported uh, expertise and the two working in, in harmony. Chelsea haven't got the balance right, and I can understand. And everyone's talking about sort of Conte's mood, but I think the uh, the, the disconnect is is across that road between the academy and the uh, and the main and, and the first team pavilion. It's wrong. They've got all these good players. Chalabar could have played uh, could have played at the weekend and, and done a job for them. Nathan Aki. Nathan Aki's a decent centre half. He could have easily been a sort of squad uh, centre half for, uh, for, for for them. Young, hungry, wants to do well committed to, to Chelsea and now he's moved on so uh, my problems with Chelsea are more deeper rooted on the academy side I mean we, we think in terms of top six at least I do we'll get to Everton in a minute I, I'm assuming Arsenal would round out your top six or do you see Everton finishing above Arsenal this year Henry no I think Arsenal finish top six I'd be surprised if they get in the Champions League Positions. I mean, it was it was great entertainment at uh, at, at Arsenal the other night. But and I know they got centre halves to come back in, but they've got to sort out the Sanchez situation. How do you sort out the Sanchez situation? I mean, is it just making a decision, either selling him now or letting him run his contract down? Well, I just assume he's 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 going to leave. You know, in this just, window. Yeah. What, what is the point? Unless he is going to be 100% committed, what is the point of, 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 of holding on to him? Are they going to offer him three, 300 grand a week? I'm, I'm not sure they will. I think maybe he looks around and thinks, they're not, okay, Lacazette, but there are not enough players in here who are, who, who are going to sort of match his work rate and match his ambition. And I can completely understand why he wants to leave. Are you guys as down on, on Arsenal? Do you, I mean, no, I, I do think, you think any, anybody want to make a case for Arsenal top four? I think they will get in the top four this season. Ooh. I think there's a different feeling around the ground. We've Despite said it many times. Uh, Arsene Wenger looks like the cat that's got the cream. The players seem uh, more motivated and hungrier than I've seen them for a little while. It was music to my ears because I've heard a couple of times players say in interviews, oh, we work on our system now. We've done a lot of work on this back three. We're, we're working uh, tactically at the game. Well, they've never said that before. It's always been oh, free and easy. <laughs> and this is what I've been saying all along. They have to start working at the structure of the team. It can't just be five sides and, 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 and uh, high-pressing uh, keep balls. It has to also be tactical work done on the training floor. And suddenly there's talk of Arsenal doing that. And there you see the back three working quite well, or the back three and, and wing backs working quite well. Scoey, are you on board with this? Are you sharing Stuart's no, excitement I, I, for Arsenal? Or are you no, more I can't see it. I can't camp? see it at the moment. I was with Henry. I was at the uh, the Emirates on Friday night, and it was just a case of keep doing the same things. You get the same answers. They look woefully bad at the back. Uh, you know, terribly bad. Uh, I know they're missing personnel. The, the one thing they've got, they will score goals. I think Lacazette for for forty six, forty eight million. How much he costs is a, is a fantastic buy, but I just can't see the improvement at the back. Which brings us to Everton. Um, people complain that we only focus on, on, on big clubs, but we are talking about who's going to finish near the top. Everton are certainly acting like they want to be a, a big club uh, this summer. What do you make of this, Henry? Oh, I like Everton. I like their, their, their balance. I mean, there was a piece in the Times at the weekend that Paul Joyce wrote about the sort of young players they've got coming through. And I know that, that Koeman has been bringing in you know, an impressive you know, array of of individuals, but you know, a lot of them are, are English. I think Keane's a good buy. Keane could have gone to a bigger club. Great minds think alike. I love Keane. I, 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 I went on this whole Keane thing earlier. At a time when you know, England themselves are, are struggling for centre halves, particularly centre halves who can defend, I think he'll, he'll step in there. Again, they've got sort of Pickford as well. They've got some good kids. I'm slightly sad because I really like Ross Barkley, and I think maybe the fault is partly on Barkley's side, not responding enough to uh to 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 Koeman. you can see him moving on maybe to spurs or wherever but uh yeah there's something special that's going on at um at everton what would constitute success this season for everton what's a minimum yeah. objective where they can say yeah we've had a good season what where would you put the bar at six wow all right hey, anybody think Everton top six. Uh, I that should be the minimum objective. Well, they came seventh last year. They've spent a lot of money. If they don't come six, it can't be considered a, a great season They'll for come them. Seventh again. I think they're going to come seventh again, and I'm not sure when the the going gets off where the goals are going to come from. I don't know if you want to give me your picks for relegation. I always kind of feel it's a little morbid. It's also especially meaningless because I think the sides that we expect to be near the bottom, I think at least half of them. Um, are going to 
engage in quite a bit of transfer activity between now and August 31st. So I think this becomes slightly meaningless. But if you have to be a negative Nelly and give me three teams to go down, Henry? Uh, well, I went uh, Huddersfield, Brighton, and then I was just scraping around for the uh, third because I just think Newcastle might have problems. But I actually went Burnley, which is very naive of me because Sean oh. Dyche will get them playing. and I'm going, I'm going to... <laughs> Yeah, but Palace have got Zahar and... They also have Frank De Boer. Although I suppose you can just sack him in January and bring back Sam Allardyce and you'll be fine. Yeah, but it's interesting. I mean, he's he's trying to sort of impose this way of playing, which is just anathema to uh, to, to, to Palace and their, their counter-attacking. And maybe it's going to take a, a you know a, a bit of time. I've talked to Paris, I've talked to De Boer, and, you know, they are... You know, it will be a revolution rather than evolution, and it might turn into a bloody one. But um, you know you've got to give him a uh, give him a chance. Ignore what happened in Italy and just remember what happened at, uh, at Ajax. Robo, you're three to go down. Huddersfield, Brighton, uh, and I'm going to go with Swansea because although they had a fairly decent end to last season, uh, if Sigerson goes, I'm not sure where the creativity is going to be. Uh, I like Yorenti, but he needs a number ten who's going to create for him. Uh, and I'm not sure about the manager either, so I'm going to go with Swansea as my third team to go down. Were you all talking about how great Tammy Abraham was? No. No, it wasn't you. Oh, no. it was Scoey. Sorry, yeah. So, Scoey, given how great Tammy Abraham is, Swansea won't be going down. So, who are your three to go down? Watch um, him say Palace. No, 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 I'm not going to say Palace, but yeah, I think no, they're, they're could be, it could be very it? tricky for them. I'm going to go Brighton, Burnley and Newcastle. Wow. After seeing Huddersfield on Saturday, they've recruited very, very well. The lad who got up front from Montpellier looked a star. They've got a plan. They're organised. They were very good in possession and out of possession. I don't think Huddersfield will get relegated. Brighton fans, I'm sorry. Nobody here seems to believe in you. Um, I believe in you, and I believe in Chris Hewton, even though very few people here seem to do so. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. We have to mention this. It's the first podcast of the season. Um... I was tempted to invite Julian Lawrence on here, but he's too much of a fanboy to go and deal with this subject. Um, Neymar is the most expensive player um, in the history of football. Uh, more than doubled uh, the, the the previous record when he uh, when Paris Saint Germain activated his get out clause. There's a massive financial fair play implications. There's an excellent column uh, in the game. Very good column. It's a very good column. uh, Written by me. uh, Because people talk a lot of nonsense and idiocy. Let me just say this straight for once, right? There's two points, two takeaways from this column, okay? I want everybody to remember, right? Nobody can say for sure that Paris Saint-Germain have violated financial fair play until the 2017-18 accounting period. You've very close in your column, haven't you? No, because you only read the headline. Uh, nobody, that, that, that's actually what I say, is nobody can say for sure 
until this accounting. Thank right, you. That's what you're saying. You're hedging your bets. So until, they might do, but maybe, maybe not. No, I'm saying no. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows what's going to happen. So you can't. So that's why those those suggestions from the head of the, the Spanish league, feeling? Javier Tebas. I, I don't see how they can do it, but maybe they will. Maybe they'll. Maybe they'll sell a bunch of people. Who knows? Okay. So that's the first one. So when Tebas saying, "Oh, UEFA need to block the transfer, investigate," no fool. Learn the rules of how financial fair play works. There's nothing you can do until the accounting period ends because that's when you know if they've reached financial fair play or not. Okay? Very simple. The like other on collision course, is that, is that what we're saying at the moment? Well, looking at their past revenues, looking at their past behavior, Neymar and the, the, the fee and his, and his uh, wages are going gonna to be amortized over the life of his contract. You're still going to adding about $100 million in expenses. Right, that you have to make up for that. They're not getting any more money from the TV contract because that was signed in 2016. Will he generate more commercially in image rights? Yeah, but you know, guess what? When Neymar goes to Paris Saint Germain, part of his compensation is the image rights deal. So he's going to make sure that he gets a big enough cut of whatever comes in. It's not like it's it's not like they've tricked Neymar. Says, oh, here, Neymar, here's your salary, and look, we're going to exploit you everywhere. No, it doesn't work that way. Obviously, it's mutually beneficial, but. It's hard to see that putting them over the top. Can they make money from the Champions League? Yes, they made a lot of money from the Champions League last year too. Um, if they win it, they'll make maybe forty million more than they made last year. It's still hard to get to to where they want to be. And no, let me knock some other myths on the head. This nonsense with the shirts. Oh, they're going to sell like oh the ten million shirts at a hundred euros each. That's a hundred million euros. No, no, they have licensing deals. They only get a royalty of usually between ten and twenty percent per shirt. So even if Neymar adds a bunch of shirts, they're not going to make that much money off it. We went through all this with Pogba when he signed with United. By the way, United are considerably bigger club than Paris Saint-Germain, uh, as you'll no doubt agree, Scully. The way the financial fair play rules are written is they have vast, vast scope to look at any kind of compensation this guy may make anywhere in the world and say, hmm, that lottery ticket you won in the Qatari National Lottery when you won uh, uh, $100 million? Uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to treat that as a related party transaction. Okay, so like there's there's nothing there's nothing they can do and, and keep it the hidden. Just, uh, they have to Mbappe generate it. Well. And they're, they're reportedly on the verge of signing Kylian Mbappe. I have no clue what's going on. I don't know how they're, how they're planning to do it. If they manage to pull it off, um, fair play to them. But what I will say, and this is the other point of the column, is that the last time around people remember having a city in, in Paris Saint-Germain, they signed settlement agreements. Um, which was basically like a plea bargain with UEFA so that they could avoid going to the adjudicatory chamber to be sentenced. Other clubs have the opportunity to go and say, no, we don't like that settlement agreement. You have to go to the adjudicatory chamber. That didn't happen last time around. Everybody accepted the agreement that City and PSG signed. If PSG are found guilty and there's a settlement agreement that's deemed to be too soft, I think you can bet your bottom dollar that Barcelona will be the first team to go out there and say like, "Uh uh-uh, this is going to the adjudicatory chamber. No slap on the wrist. And at that point, anything can happen. I do think, just just going back to the football side, they have an absolute glut of attacking midfielder mm-hmm. winger types, right? Because it's Guedes, it's Di Maria, yeah. it's it's Draxler, it's Lucas. How do you see this working, Stuart? Does it work at all football-wise? I think I've shocked you before, Gab. Neymar is not one of the players that I think is is, is an outstanding, is a, is a great player. He's the best player in the world. Is that what you're saying? No, I don't think he is. No, when I'm looking at when I'm looking at uh, when I look at Brazil, when I saw him as a young player, I saw him as, as uh, coming all the way through. So I followed his career, and if I was a manager or a head coach, I wouldn't be building my team around him because while he can do some great things against the very best sides last year in the Champions League when they were caught out defensively, and that's why they lost in the Champions League because two games, I mean, they got through the, the game against PSG eventually because away from home, defensively, they were all over the place and he was one of the players that had no idea what he should be doing defensively and, didn't, have, had, help in that game yeah, and didn't really want to defend very much. And against Juventus, you know, so I wouldn't pick him out as being one of the one of the players I would build my team around. When things are going very well for him and when things are going well for the team against weak opposition, he'll then do loads of tricks rather than do the things that I want him to do. He's go and, go and beat people and play little one-twos. Ooh. He's a showman. I, I okay. think he's a showboater. Harsh words from Robbo. Scully, I, I don't think I'm in any secrets. United had the opportunity to do the exact same thing that Paris Saint-Germain. And the funny thing about United is they probably could have done it while respecting financial fair play. Would you have wanted that? 
I think it's a stunning signing. I think he's a fantastic player. Do you think he's one of the best players in the world? Or yeah, easily. So you disagree with Robbo? No, I understand where, where he's coming from, but I just think it's I just think it's a fantastic signing, and and you're criticising owners of a football club for for wanting the best of their team when there's dozens of owners out there that literally have run clubs into the ground and got away with it scot three. why are you sort of bringing up a, somebody that just wants the best for their football club and if they've got the money and they can prove they've got the money and it's there in the bank and they're not borrowing to where the club could go bust let them get on with it alright now time for the part of the show you've all been waiting for it's quick hits Arsenal get all three points thanks to some late game heroics from your mate Olivier Giroud and they do it without Alexis Sanchez who of course was unavailable due to injury I believe. Robbo, your assessment? I think Arsenal attacked very well as they always will. Uh, there was some good creative play in and around the box. They changed their system. Their wing backs got forward and did very well. Uh, midfield was a bit lightweight in El Nenny and Jacker. But they had problems defensively. The back three holding, who Arsenal supporters seem to like, I don't think he's going to be good enough. Monreal will never be a middle centre-half, uh, and they've got problems when set plays come into the box. To be fair, if the centre-backs are injured, there's not much they can do about that. John Joe Shelby gets himself stupidly sent off, and Spurs take advantage to topple Newcastle 2-0. But, Scoey, the big talking point is Danny Rose feeling underpaid. Uh, you have sympathy? No, not really, considering he's just signed a new contract, uh, Gab. Back in September 2016. Exactly. Uh, and he's been injured since January. Talking about goals this morning, that's got to be own goal of pre-season, isn't it, that interview? Yeah. Brainless. I didn't get that uh, at all. I, I never begrudge somebody wanting to get more money, but you know what? you got to put your rear end on the line. And he could have done what his mate Kyle Walker did, which is not sign a new contract, and then he'd have two years left on his deal right now. And would have a lot of And if of you want to leverage. leave a club, make sure you've got a club lined up to buy you because you will look silly if you don't. Manchester City roll to a comfortable win at newly promoted Brighton as Gabriel Jesus and Sergio Aguero line up in a front two with three central defenders at the back. Robbo, I wasn't expecting this formation. Were you? Uh, Pros and cons? I was expecting the formation. I'd said it on many uh, channels before the start of the season that the two would play up front in the very first game. They would play and three would at the back. Play a back three, you know? They were going to play a back three. Uh, they were going to play with a holding midfield player and David Silva and, and, uh, and De Bruyne either side of them. Uh, the full-backs were going to get forward as much as they could as wing-backs. So I thought it, it was the right system to play. It means that Leroy Sane and Sterling, unless they change the system, won't get much of a look in this season. Yeah, the other con of it is if you insist on playing with a back three, if somebody gets gets hurt, the guy coming in off the bench, unless I've forgotten somebody, is Eliaki Mangala. Huddersfield go to Crystal Palace and uh, David Wagner stomps all over Frank De Boer as they win 3-0, thereby underscoring the uh, never-ending might of the mighty Germans over the uh, rather weak and ineffectual Dutch. Scoey, you want to lament your old club and sympathize with Steve Parrish? Or do you want to praise Wags's army? No, praise David Wagner. Did a stunning job to get Huddersfield up last year. Good recruitment as well. And it's a fantastic three points. You know, these these Burnleys, Huddersfield, they're up and running already. Even if they lose the next three or four games, it will keep them out of the bottom three. Fantastic and fully deserved. Liverpool are held at Watford 3-3 in a game that showed the best and worst of a Klopp side. Electrifying attacks and Keystone Cops defending. Robbo, you want to talk about that, or do you want to talk about Coutinho? Uh, no, I'll talk about the the game. No, uh, talk about Coutinho. It's more interesting. No, okay. Just Go ahead. Uh, no, the, the, the counter-attacking and, and the way they played the game, the attacking side of the game was good again. Salah did well down the right-hand side. Mane looked excellent. Firmino played as a sort of withdrawn centre-forward, so the wide players could make their forward runs. But the same old problems... Liverpool have got when they didn't press the ball particularly well they were then counter-attacked far too easily they didn't cope with the big centre forward Akaka when balls were played forward and they certainly didn't deal with set plays that's going to be a major problem for Liverpool going throughout the season Wayne Rooney scores his first Everton goal in 13 years as the Toffees overcome Stoke Scoey you told us Rooney is the best player you've ever seen in person what would constitute a good season for him at this point I think if he could get into the, the 30 appearances for the season, he's done well. And I think if he could get into double figures for goals, I think he's done, had a very good season. 
Gab, here's one for you. I hear Cristiano Ronaldo made headlines in the Spanish Super Cup last night, and he didn't even start. That's right. It was the first leg of the Spanish Super Cup. Uh, Real Madrid beating Barcelona 3-1. Gerard Piquet having a nightmare. So Cristiano Ronaldo, who I believe hasn't started a game since the semi-final of the um, Confederations Cup, which was a long, long time ago, um, he comes on as a sub. Uh, this is just after Barcelona had equalized to make it 1-1. He scores a tremendous goal, absolutely, absolute peach of a goal. And how does he celebrate? Well, obviously he celebrates, but as you do, uh, by taking his shirt off. And by the way, he looks more chiseled this year than he did last year. He then also did the little celebration where he holds up, the, the, he copied the Lionel Messi one, um, which Messi did at the Bernabeu. Uh, it's all great, all funny, all very symbolic. He gets booked, that's fine, I'll take it. It's just a Spanish Super Cup. But then, I I don't, I'm not laughing. I felt kind of bad for him, but then not so bad. Uh, Ball over the top. He's running with Umtiti. There's an obvious coming together. It's a classic situation where it's not a foul and not a dive. Uh, Cristiano goes down. Poor referee's a million miles back. Decides that it's a dive. And he books Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, which means it's a second yellow. And he's sent off. And he freaks out. And he shoves the referee as he's walking off the pitch. Um, there's a ban awaiting him. I have a little bit of sympathy for him. Um, but then again, you know, if you pick up a stupid booking, you got to know what's going on. Why do players want to take their shirt off when they score, when they know they're going to get booked for it? Please tell me. I I can't help it, but ask. I'm assuming you've never taken your, even though you could, you, you, it was not an automatic booking in your day, right? Did you ever take your shirt off when you scored? No, I didn't take my shirt off, no. Scoey, you've scored many more goals than Robbo. How often did you take off your shirt? Never. Because you didn't have the Cristiano body at the time? Not quite, no. Um, just not as flamboyant, Gab. It's that time of year when uh, those of us who play uh, fantasy football scramble around looking for help and and, and, and tips. And uh, you're very fortunate because we're joined by uh, a veritable expert here. Uh, it's Charlie Scott. Uh, as you know, the Times, they have a weekly newsletter called The Sweeper to help you with your squad to find tips, uh, undervalued assets. Charlie. Hi, Gav. Yeah, my name's Charlie. I'm half of The Sweeper. The Times is fancy football tips service that we're running this season. Paddy Von Bear, the other half, is currently on holiday in Canada, which is nice to him for the start of the season. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so clearly you're the more talented, committed half. Well, yeah, and I, you got the hump that he's in Canada. No, no, not at all. But he's seen also some, who holidays in Canada? With all due respect, in Canada this summer, what do you like fishing? Like what? He, he's seen some lovely lakes from his social media. Wow, yeah. Last week we did quite well with our tips for game week one. Friday night we took Granite Xhaka to do do well for Arsenal against Leicester, and he picked a couple up assists. a couple of assists. Didn't play that well, but a couple of assists, ten points. So you can't really argue with that. Elsewhere, we had Henrik Mkhitaryan for Man United, who looked brilliant in their 4-0 win against West Ham. Fantasy football doesn't give Okaka any points for that insane techers he pulled out on uh, against Liverpool, right? Sadly not, no. He really should. No. Well, I think he might have some joy this week against Bournemouth. It's an early tip, Okaka, to rip the cherries apart and make Eddie Howe cry. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Um, so, yeah, Mictarian was a good one. He, like Xhaka, picked up two assists, which is more than he got in the whole of last season. We can see Mictarian doing well against United's next three opponents. They've got Swansea, Leicester and Stoke. Don't panic if your team didn't do too well this week. There were obviously a few surprise results. Chelsea's defence is unlikely to have many days like they did against Burnley. They will if they keep getting people sent off. Well, but, yeah, yeah. If, if they stay on the pitch, they should be all right. Four red cards in their last three games, as Mr. Conte reminded us. At the sweep, we're saying don't panic too much ahead of next week. We think West Brom going to Burnley. Jay Rodriguez led the line well for them at the weekend and looks very good value at £6 million as a forward option. And he's got the Egyptian Gareth McCauley with him at centre-back. Higazi. Higazi, he was in my team of the week. Oh, he was the top scoring player all weekend, 15 points. Why don't Liverpool just sign him instead of, I suppose they can't, instead of Van Dyke? Who'd you rather have, Higazi or Van Dyke? Well, based on this week, 15 more points, Higazi, all day. Yeah. Best, <laughs> best player at the African Cup of Nations. Yeah. There you go. There we Pure go. scouting far and wide. 
you need to be signing up to this if you're playing fantasy football because every Friday you're going to get an email from the sweeper with the vital selection tips that could make or break your fantasy football weekend. And remember, the good tips are from the nice thing about this email that tells you which tips are from Charlie and which tips are from the other guy who thinks it's a smart idea to go holiday in Canada just as the season's starting. So disregard everything he <laughs> writes. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm sure he's very well informed. We get, yeah, he is very well informed. He's uh, far more of a tactical fantasy football player than I am. Um, but we get grouped as a single entity, so you won't know which are his tips and which are mine. There you go. So you can go to thetimes.co.uk, search The Sweeper, and subscribe today. And you'll be pitting your wits against the finest Times writers, including Tony Cascarino, who... Did you know Tony Cascarino played poker professionally and made a ton of money? No, I did not know that. He is cut out for these uh, sort of analytical type uh, games. He's just got that kind of mind. So um, it's called The Sweeper, and it'll hit your inbox every Friday to help you with your fantasy football. And that's all we've got time for today. Many, many, many thanks to my guest today, Stuart Robson, James Scowcroft, and above all, Henry Winter. Remember, it's just £8 for an eight-week trial. That works out at £1 a week. And if my math is correct, eight pence and change a day. Uh, and for that, you get highlights, you get all our excellent content. Um, I think it's worth it, but then I'm biased because I work here. And remember, as I mentioned, this season you access highlights of every game in the Premier League, Champions League, Europa League, and the FA Cup as well. We're going to be back next week. Till then, bye-bye. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.